Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen won the Spanish Grand Prix with a commanding performance, leading from start to finish every lap of the race and pole position and fastest lap. That is a pretty good day at work. At the start of the race, he defended his position from Carlos Sainz's sort of attack. Otherwise, he pulled a gap very, very quickly and never looked back. Lewis Hamilton coming home in second. Bit of an early recovery needed after a collision with Lando Norris running into the back of him. Otherwise, he would climb to second. And George Russell in the second Mercedes. An impressive performance starting behind the very, very fast Red Bull of Sergio Perez, but beating him to the podium. The best Ferrari finish would be Carlos Sainz in fifth and Lance Stroll for the first time this year, beating his teammate Fernando Alonso, who finished sixth and seventh respectively. Let's get into uh, how that's all played out this afternoon uh, with the chief editor of Autosport magazine, Kevin Turner. Latest addition to our uh, team is Philip Clearan and our man at Barcelona is Matt Q. So Matt, we've just finished making the, uh, the video for the YouTube channel, so apologies if we repeat any stuff on this one. Uh, but that really was commanding by Max Verstappen. Toto Wolf said yesterday he was just uh, peed off, was the quote, or it, it pees me off that he has to do one run in Q3, and that's it. When you're in the paddock talking in the pen and the drivers and the teams afterwards, is there a sense that this kind of domination is getting people down a little bit? It's just so impressive to watch as a neutral, though. I think you could say it's getting people down in a sense. If you take out Red Bull, it would be like a season for the ages in terms of the on-track competitiveness and the race-by-race touring and throwing between Aston, um, Ferrari and uh, and Mercedes. Sorry, it's a bit late here, Martin. Sorry, I'm not firing on all cylinders. But if you take that away, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it's been a long day. It has. But so if you take that away, it'd be amazing. I think people feel like, not that you're robbed of that because you still have it playing out, but there's sort of less attention to it on it and um, and it's not centre stage. But, you know, no one can take away, this is this is the Max Verstappen era, isn't it? Not to be doom and gloom. I know care will be uh, 
wincing at the thought of saying this because he'll just see the this, the number of <laughs> website hits and magazine sales we get. But you know, up until the next major regulation change in 2026, it is tough to see what stops uh, this Red Bull and Verstappen package at the minute. It was a it was a sensational performance. We can pick apart, you know, there were one or two blemishes with it, but it was it was mega sort of, you know, the the, the irony of Mercedes being their closest competition today is that they're the only person that really knows. Red Bull's true pace in the sense that as much as Verstappen was 24 seconds up the road, you still have the sense that there's plenty more left in reserve that, you know, whether that's to, you know, they're backing off ever so slightly or keeping something left back to preserve tyres, to preserve um, engine reliability so that Max doesn't crash. So that if a safety car comes, you know, that they, they've not like burnt away their advantage for, for nothing. But you know, beyond beyond all of that, I think there's still sort of uh, still a, a bit more to come, and maybe just keeping it back so the legislators don't intervene for next year. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's the that is the inevitable thing with Formula One is that when teams go through these huge periods of dominance, inevitably the you know the rules get changed. Uh, of course, Kev Christian Horner would say that they're already at a big disadvantage. What with their their punishment for doing very, very bad budget things last year. He says, oh, well, you know, we're going to be on the back foot. Teams are going to catch us quickly. I think we can see through the gamesmanship, can't we? Oh, that's a very good way of putting it. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, that they are doing an impressive job. The car's incredible. I think, you know, Ferrari are going backwards. Aston Martin are obviously only just jumped up to the front, so fair play to them. Mercedes kind of let us down by not making this car over the winter. By going, no, it might be all right. <laughs> oh, no, we're not. No. But, and Toto said today, didn't he? He said, oh, we needed the shock of the early races. Um, you'd have thought you'd have had that in 2022, but I think mm. obviously they had a better finish and uh, obviously George won at Interlagos. So that kind of fooled them into thinking maybe actually they could get something out of this because it's, it's much harder to start again with a new concept. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I've long since given up looking at the uh, at the championship table, but I thought I thought that um, yeah the Mercedes pace today. I thought Lewis in particular uh, gave us gave us some t- some some sort of glimmers of hope that Mercedes might be able to get to Red Bull bef- before twenty twenty six. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, Lewis is talking about can we get within range of them by the end of the year, and he's obviously saying that with a thought for twenty twenty four. So I know that sounds a bit of a downer for this year. Um, but uh, yeah, if anyone can do it, it's going to be Mercedes, isn't it? The funny thing is, and it's almost a bit demoralizing, but I caught myself thinking today, actually, this is a really good race, but we <laughs> never saw Max Verstappen at all until he was, you know, complaining about his hard tires sliding when he was still quicker on the hards than people on mediums. But we were not really seeing him, and behind him was actually quite a fun race. So we're almost like conditioned now to think that, you know, we don't need to fight for the lead. We've given up on that. And it's actually a pretty fun race behind them. So it's a bit, you know, our standards are slipping because, you know, you have to try and find some entertainment there. Uh, but yeah, they are just in a class of their own, of course, and I don't see that changing. Uh, maybe this was the worst weekend in that regard because, you know, I think if you ask everyone in the panic, then this is probably the circuit that suits them the best. You've got your high-speed corners where the Rebels are incredibly planted, both with its suspension, with its aero. Um, but, you know, mm. at least Mercedes wasn't miles away. It was three or four tenths a lap, maybe. And that's mm. sort of encouraging. Maybe not for Canada, but for the second half of the season. 
Uh, AG yeah. Newey cars have always been good around there, haven't they? Yeah, back in the McLaren and Williams days, you know, it is an aero track. I think we knew the moment that we that everyone left Monaco. It's like, well, okay, so the next win is coming next weekend. Uh, and, and I think we should probably also say for it, but it's not just how incredible the car is and how good Max is. They nail the pit stops. They're always, you know, 2.2, 2.3. The strategy is usually bang on. You know, they're, it, it's everything that they do is at a very high level. So there's not an obvious chink in their armour. You just have to be as good at them at everything to beat them. It's optimization, which is the era that we're that we're living in. And Mercedes dropped the ball with the with the new rules. I don't think Ferrari have been able to optimise themselves since the era of you know Ross Braun, Jean Top, Mark Schumacher, and Aston Martin are only kind of you know becoming a big team. So that's why we've kind of got this slightly oh goodness one team is delivering and no one else is yet. But I, you know we'll, we'll get there eventually. I, what I want is no, no no nonsense rule changes to artificially pull Red Bull back because that's not that's not what Formula One is and that's not you know meritocracy. Yeah, I had a flick round uh, some of the, the 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 websites, the mainstream press, just to see how it was Formula One was being covered today. Because in the YouTube video that we made earlier, I led with Mercedes. I said, I loved, "Sorry, Max Verstappen fans, the headline is Mercedes." Um, and then I thought maybe I got that wrong, so I had a flick around, and no, pretty much all the big motor racing websites, the mainstream media as well, they've all got a a picture of either you know Lewis and George on the podium or them you know congratulating each other as they get out of the cars I think so I think that is as not to take anything away from Max Verstappen at all that is probably the headline story from today is the two Mercedes Kev now you got a magazine to put out on Thursday this week so who's going on the front cover well, is you, it going to be the two Mercedes boys no I mean that well it funny enough I was speaking to Alex <laughs> Kellen August in the paddock just about an hour or two ago and saying right I want a Merck angle on the cover as well as Matt like, I can't not have Max on the cover you know he has one yeah it's his 40th win all that sort of stuff but it's got to have a Merck slant on it because it's given us hope hasn't it basically it, that's that's what it is. it's it's a slither of one, but we you know even uh, even Christian Horner was saying after the race you know uh, and Fernando Alonso you're both complimenting that Mercedes that they've got the drivers they've they know how to win championships they're going to maximise what they've got it's just that what they've got hasn't been good enough recently and this is a sign that maybe actually it's only the first proper weekend with that new concept because Monaco doesn't count because it's such an odd ball anyway. Uh, that actually, you know, you could, there was a little bit of something about Lewis again. I think he, I mean, he was very impressive there last year, to be fair. That's perhaps where we shouldn't get too carried away. You know, even the old car wasn't bad in Spain last season. So <laughs> there will be dips after this, I'm sure. It's not going to be just a line of progression, Mercedes getting close to Red Bull, but it just gives us a little bit of hope. And I think just also on the, on the title fight, you know, one of the reasons why it is more of a problem is in eras past, you know, it, it, certainly with the, the Hamilton one, for example, when we had Nico Rosberg there, uh, there was a thought that you would have a title fight between the drivers. And we're just not, you know, the last eight days, seven or eight days have shown that Sergio Perez is not going to beat Max Verstappen in the World Championship. You know, he, he was obviously off, off form at Monaco, made the qualifying crash, you're never going to make progress in there. But even today, Max Verstappen finishes on the podium from 11th on the grid and I I wouldn't put it past him winning the race from there as well and Perez is fourth and that's the thing you know he's just not quite Max Verstappen but I mean you say well who is but you know that's why we're looking to other teams to to create this this uh, this contest I have taken a little bit of heat on as, as the host of the show for not you know some people saying that Red Bull are turning down Perez's car that the minute he got too good and uh, in Baku 
that they've hobbled him and all that kind of stuff. People, you know, Perez fans saying that I've been mean on him for saying that this fever that whipped up, saying Perez can take a challenge to Verstappen for a world championship fight. And I said, it's ridiculous, he can't. Uh, because when he has a day that he can't max uh, match Max, he has to push him and come home second. He's absolutely not done that. And as as Kev says, actually, it's a really good point in terms of recovery drives. If you look at the occasions when Verstappen's had to make a recovery drive, he's done it. And you look at Perez's recovery drive today, and he lost out to a much slower Mercedes uh, that started uh, Russell was behind him. So when you get to uh, that stage of, of the season where he's just not competing with Max Verstappen. I'm, I, I don't really want to entertain people saying, well, you're not giving him giving him a fair chance. Yeah, well, Perez has had his fair chance. He's taken it and it's not quite there. It's not quite good enough. And, you know, Sergio Perez is a very, very good racing driver, but he's not Max Verstappen and that's fine. I mean, go up and down the grid. Let's say there's how many people that can be Max in the same car. Let's say... There's maybe three or four drivers on the grid that can do that. Now, you make your list, and who do you put on there? I don't think Sergio Perez is going to be on, on the list of most listeners. They're just He's just not in that same bracket, and that's fine. I mean, Red Bull have struggled and struggled and struggled to find a consistent point scorer that can be up there with Max. Tried Gasly, that didn't work. Now they've got someone with enough experience, enough speed, to help them win the championship, Perez beating Max, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, that's fine. But of course, he's going to be a bit demoralized. But, you know, you have to motivate yourself, don't you? You can't turn up in Bahrain and say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do much this year. He has to believe in it. And now that the gap is increasing every week, I think we'll probably get to a point where, yeah, his morale is going to decrease. But I think that's just inevitable. Yeah, but picking up the runners-up trophy at the end of the season when they hand them out, that's no bad thing for a driver of Sergio Perez's calibre. I think this championship talk is uh, is so <laughs> so overblown. There we go. He's still second in the championship, um, as he should be, but not far ahead of Fernando Alonso, who's not far ahead of Lewis Hamilton on 87 points, George Russell just behind, and then uh, Carlos Sainz in the team's battle today, worth mentioning as well, that Mercedes leapfrogged Aston Martin, uh, coming back to something that I mentioned last week on the podcast, which is Aston Martin have scored uh, over three quarters of their points from one of their drivers this year, but uh, Stroll, obviously, clearly, Stroll is a podcast listener and uh, and responded today by beating his uh, by being his teammate. Uh, Matt, a word on Mercedes for you in terms of how their strategy worked out today. A contra tire strategy to the Red Bulls. I think everyone was on a contra strategy to the Red Bulls. They were the only two starting on a, a pretty different tire to what most people started on, and uh, which just goes to show that Red Bull can pretty much pick any tyre and they'll still do very well. Uh, so how did you how did you feel about Mercedes' strategy today? It, it got a bit spicy towards the end where they they, they boxed uh, George Russell for the final time to go onto those soft tyres and uh, and Red Bull responded with Sergio Perez and we thought, oh, is Perez going to mount a big old challenge here and, and chase down Russell? He started to. Maybe he took my took too much out of the tyres. I don't know. Maybe it was traffic. No, not really. It wasn't. They were both had the same traffic. Kind of fizzled out. How did you, Matt, read Mercedes' strategy today to get their 2-3 on the podium? 
Yeah, well, in, in terms of starting tyre, like you say, Martin, any anyone that wasn't sort of Red Bull went for the softs. And, you know, although Carlos Sainz said it wasn't all about turn one, it definitely was all about <laughs> turn one, wasn't it? You, you, you know, you use a softer rubber to get a better acceleration. And, you know, even if let's be honest with the state of play at the minute it's inevitable that on lap four Verstappen with a bit of DRS comes sailing back past at least you make it insane in front of your home fans for anything so I think you know that's what anyone going aggressive was meant to be and it was actually nice after the run of street um, circuits where very quickly cars settle into those two second intervals in sort of DRS trains. It was nice actually that the the factor here was degradation rather than thermal management. So t- people just backing off to cool their tyres. It actually was a swing and, you know, you saw that play off better in the sort of lower reaches of of the sort of the top ten and with the with the Haas car so a bit divergence. But in terms of in terms of Mercedes they they played it well. However, you know, by starting on soft and, and I also for the Perez closing at the end I just think that was a bit of pace management wasn't it they responded to the Red Bull uh, pit stop and just matched it to sort of minimise minimise the risk and then the, I think the Perez being allowed to close although his you know his race pace was good it was within a couple of tenths of, of Verstappen although the caveat on both ends is that you know Perez was pushing and Max uh, was handling traffic and like I said previously potentially keeping a bit in reserve so Perez was competitive and that explains why he was ta- able to take something out of Mercedes but I also believe they were they were sort of just shoring everything up towards the end. What weakness in that Mercedes has this upgrade package fixed? Uh, th- I think there's two answers. One for today it's you know it's early days still after Monaco and Spain to have a full assessment even though basically Formula One designers design upgrades for this track. It's the one they know, you know, through testing, whatever. It's a representative track. If it's going to validate what they've seen on computer screens or how it works in real life, it's going to be here. So you'd expect Mercedes to have a decent understanding of their upgrades. But I think it's a small sample size at the minute to say what has an upgrade fixed in relation to sort of tyre degradation. Temperatures played a massive factor. You know, it's not it's not the best topic in the world in terms of intrigue, but the, the, the difference in temperatures sort of as much as it hurt um, it hurt Ferrari and between the two days on Saturday it favoured McLaren and hurt them today Mercedes again profited from it but basically the snapshot of the Mercedes upgrade and the change of philosophy is that it goes back to 2022 and they theorised that ground effects work best of all when a car is slammed towards the ground and that's how they sort of designed everything but then in the real world away from their pristine sort of um, rolling road in in Brackley there's lumps and bumps and so the car was very easily disturbed at the start of this season they went the other way and they they built in some tolerance and they raised it too high so downforce was low so then that they worked that out in Bahrain and so over the first over the subsequent races it's constantly been running in a state of compromise so they've been back down low where the downforce is but in terms of like the suspension the geometry everything was designed on paper to run at one ride height and then they've since been running it in the other and then you add in sort of balance problems Lewis being unhappy where he sits in the car so while that's like a more a a chassis thing that won't solve until next year it's about bringing everything so it's almost it's made to look like it was designed to run this way and it's just sort of basically putting not everything but something finally in a comfort zone where it's all been a bit out of whack out of a bit disjointed so that's what the upgrades have bought and a side pod that looks a bit more like a Red Bull. I think we also got a little bit of an insight into the into Russell and Hamilton today again. 
and we've seen it a few times in the past in that if you look at the end of the first stint Lewis has consistently had that tenth or two on on George and they put the new tyres on and George is bang and he's chipping away and actually he ca- he was catching science quicker than Hamilton was pulling away initially and you think oh yeah George is on it in, on this tyre this is all good and then as the stint wore on evened out evened out and then Lewis just kept started edging away again and then, he, of course, he made the tyres last longer as well, so he had the fresher tyre at the end. So I think it just, you know, we know that George is mega over a single lap. You know, you can toss a coin as to which one of them is going to qualify ahead at any given race, I would say. But he's still, and this is what you, this is not, um, there's not criticism of George. You know, he's still early on in his career against a guy who's won seven world champions in 103 races. But there's just, Lewis has got that incredible feel, the same as Max, to get that last bit of performance over the whole stint on the tyre. Uh, and that's why I think we've got, you know, they've they've got all the all the armory, haven't they, Mercedes? In terms of the drive, you know, there's no doubt over the driver lineup and all the rest of it. It's just getting that last bit of performance out of the car, and I think they're now on the right path to get to that. Do you think it was important to keep Lewis for next year? Uh, on today's performance, you say yes. I mean, he's still he's still delivering, isn't he? And also, he's the only person on the grid you know that can go toe to toe with Max in a championship fight. You know, Leclerc didn't quite pull it off last year. Okay, that was as much Ferrari as him as we discussed many times uh, last season. But but Lewis is the only one on the grid you know. Well, unless you're talking about Esteban Ocon and Formula Three, but I mean, let's uh, let's stick into Formula One. You know, Lewis can do the job over a championship, and George can learn from him. So, if I were Mercedes, I'd be I'd be hanging on to it. I, I, I'm surprised Ferrari making this big money offer for Lewis, uh, although they've denied that. They should be making the big money offer for Adrian Newey. Like I'd be offering Adrian Newey <laughs> Italy to move away from Red Bull. Like have everything, have the whole country, have have the Vatican as well. Like everything, you know, come down to Marantino you know, just to get Adrian Newey away from Red Bull. But they missed their chance and they signed again. So yeah, they're gonna have to actually come up with a way of beating him. Um, well, just picking up to something that Q said. Uh, both drivers were quite unhappy with how difficult the car was to drive. And I think that is a main point of progress that this new package seems much more benign and therefore much easier to get in the right window. Because otherwise you can't pull off a soft, medium soft strategy if the car is not in the right window. And yeah, especially Lewis seemed much, much happier with how the car behaves. And that just makes it so much easier to get 10 tenths out of it every time especially for a race stint as well. So you think, yes, their strategy was bang on, but you can only do that if you have the car in the right window. And this car seems to be much easier to do that. But we'll see. It's only been two races, one race at a proper circuit. So we'll see if, if that carries through to the other circuits. Can I be a massive pessimist about Mercedes just for just for the sake of sort of yes, you covering our backside for a couple of races time? And that's just... Well, it's just as if you wind back to this race last year, wasn't it? We came away, Russell had, you know, defended really resolutely against Verstappen. Meanwhile, Charles Leclerc's engine was self-immolating. But Russell had been really competitive alongside Verstappen. And then Hamilton, after he tangled with the Haas, he was on a contra strategy and and then, you know, had really, really strong pace afterwards. Hopefully... It is the upgrade doing the trick and they will reel in Red Bull. But I think there needs to be a slight health warning that this could be another false dawn because we know how protracted problems were for Mercedes last season. Yes, this time around, they haven't got the porpoising, for example. That does seem to be eliminated. So there is obvious signs of progress, but I just, this track 
does suit Mercedes. And that's why you need to sort of look further ahead. Hamilton's always, or Mercedes have always done well at Montreal. Silverstone, a couple of those. So you're looking at the tracks in between, traditionally that haven't been their proper sort of hunting grounds before, just to see quite the strength of the upgrade, just how significant the step forward is. And then you add in other factors like, you know, what happens if Leclerc and Perez qualify well? Yeah, I suppose the one difference is with 2022 is that they didn't know why they were slow and they didn't know why they were quick in Brazil. Whereas now they seem to have a much better understanding of where they're at. They've made a conscious decision to do a 180 degree turn on their concert. So I think they're just in a much better place right now. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, lots to talk about, of course, the Aston's uh, worst performance for Alonso uh, seventh. Incredible to say, finishing out the top four for the first time this year. Uh, The Ferraris, the Alpines as well. Uh, Good and bad times over the weekend. Uh, McLaren starting on the second row and uh, sadly, uh, Lando Norris, a first corner incident, second corner incident, scuppering his plans. Lots to get into on the podcast soon. Stick around back in a second. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's get into Ferrari. Uh, They bought a lot to this weekend, didn't they? Well, it wasn't a massive upgrade package, but it was significant. New side pods and some other bits and bobs. I can't explain it at the minute. Leclerc had changed a whole rear end of the car for a pit lane start. That didn't seem to make any difference at all. There's something wrong, wasn't there, with, with Leclerc's car to be that far off uh, of science in qualifying. There's something, you know, I know driver excuses and stuff, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, 19th, come on. So there's obviously something wrong with the car that they don't know what it is yet. They sent the parts back. I dare say we'll find out over the you know coming days and, and weeks. But my fear over so that and and yeah, you have to say Leclerc is normally their their quickest guy. But my concern with Ferrari is that they're just they're just falling further away. You know, I thought last year was their big opportunity. They nailed the new rules. They had a good car. Red Bull uh, were unreliable at the start of the year, and obviously Mercedes were nowhere. I think twenty twenty two is their big chance. I'm struggling to see how this era Ferrari gets to a point where they can win a world championship. Quite honestly. Uh, I mean, I would bring Bonotto back on the technical front for a start. Totally get they didn't want him in charge of the whole thing. Put him where he was making a difference then, making the car quicker. I uh, don't quite understand. Yeah, we talked about that at the time. So Ferrari at the minute, I don't think have got the firepower to get further up the grid. And I think they're in danger of, you know, you could argue, yes, as Matt said, maybe Spain did flatter them. I'm sure we'll have a few Leclerc qualifying specials over the course of the year because I think he's mega over one lap. But in terms of races think Ferrari are in danger of slipping backwards. I'm afraid I've got to join Kevin uh, 
bleak assessment. One, that's not very good because it means there's no there's no lively debate on a podcast. We're all in it agreement. Doesn't matter. And two, because <laughs> it doesn't matter. two, because it's bleak for the championship. But I think as 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 Kev talks about sort of with them missing a chance. Not only that, but now they've got a brain drain going on, haven't they? You know, David Sanchez has gone to McLaren. Look how well they're recruiting. Rob Marshall, who, you know, if he's gone to McLaren, he was available. What a, what experienced personnel who, you know, wants to wants to leave the Red Bull camp. Maybe he didn't want to move to Marinello, whatever. But, you know, people like that are available. Laurent Mecky's going as well. So, you know, unless you're like, you know, what's an analogy like tidying your room where you take everything out of all your drawers and everything from under the bed before you put it back together and then suddenly it's pristine. That's what Ferrari are going through if that's the end goal. They're, they're, everything's sort of falling apart, you know, faster than they can they can supplement everything. So that is a worry. And then like, you know, uh, there was a call before, after Monaco, before Spain from Fred Vassour and he goes, yeah, but we are working on stuff. Look at us, you know, everyone laughed at our pit stops last season, but we've done thousands and thousands of rehearsals over the winter and now look how good they are. Spain, every pit stop is second slower than Red Bull. Like even, even those things that are not instantly, but you know, they <laughs> are spot. fixable in the short term. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not on it. And then, you know, the, 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 <laughs> Just actually, that that is sort of the narrative for Ferrari. Everything they say they've done is then immediately undone. So the Miami, the upgrades were all about the, the tweaks to the floor, about making the car more benign. Leclerc instantly puts it in a barrier. Then you've got the side pods now, which is about maximising car performance, and they fall way back, you know, and they're they're way you know, uh, way behind um, uh, Mercedes in terms of degradation, and that's that's a real problem is like whenever that white walled hard Pirelli is wheeled out the Ferrari fans or the Ferrari strategists must just put their head in their hands because they can't do anything with it it just turns to granite they have no pace they can't make it last can't keep the temperatures in it and so yeah it's just such a myriad of problems and you know we haven't quite isolated it yet but because you know last season Ferrari with the unreliability turned the engines down but ever since the technical directive came in they've just they've gone from a nice agile car to something that's like almost above Mercedes in terms of peakiness if you're not in that tiny narrow operating window it's nowhere and then you've got two very unhappy drivers who you know one in Carlos Sainz who's arguably under a bit of pressure for his seat and then Leclerc the supposed talisman to build the team around you hire Fred Vasseur to placate him he's a massive flight risk at the minute on exactly 100 points adding 10 to their tally today which is 34 behind Aston Martin 52 behind Mercedes and 187 points behind Red Bull Racing at Ferrari all of a sudden it makes you wonder once again Ferrari changing everything at the top Phil if I put you in charge of a Ferrari for a day what would you do in terms of trying to sort out their their season which is stalled massively go to Le Mans sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's fine we're only a week so right. I'd take a Ferrari P4 for myself oh lovely yeah well the 499P's been pretty quick at testing today but anyway that's uh, yeah sorry wrong Ferrari <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to disappoint you, Martin. I don't think me being in charge of Ferrari is going to uh, dramatically turn around their fortunes. But, uh, <laughs> Just for a day. You could be in and out. <laughs> well, let's see how much damage I can do in one day. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, the thing I, the thing with Ferrari is, and I don't know this for sure, but it looks like they are like this year's Mercedes in terms of, I'm not sure they understand why they can't last for a race distance. They clearly have a good car. I don't think those upgrades were that shabby. I think they 
did pretty much what Ferrari was hoping they would do, but they just can't make the car last for whole. They can't make the tires last for whole stint. Um, and I'm not sure they know why, because last year it was, you know, it's tire dig. And then they said, oh, actually, it's not tire dig. It's just we just don't have the pace, and that's why we're pushing the tires too much. Now it's, uh, it is the tires, but it's not the dig. It's they're just too peaky. We can't get them in the right window for Holston. I'm not sure they have a solution for that yet, because clearly they can make a quick car over one lap. We've seen that. Charles Leclerc's got pole. He was fast in Monaco. But they, they just keep sliding backwards every race, and I'm not sure they know how to fix it. Yeah, I'm reminded of other teams that have had those issues over recent years. Well, I'm in the McLaren slump as well, when they blamed Honda for everything, and then when they it might not all be Honda, actually, it's some of us. But they didn't fully understand... We were sitting on a half-decent car, and now we've designed a really bad one. Well, who's it? Uh, we saw Leclerc battling with that was a Nick de Vries, like overtake and then get re-overtaken again. And you think, well, that's just does so much harm to the morale in in Ferrari, but also the Italian press, which will be just ramping the pressure. I'm sure Mattia Bonotto is enjoying a beach somewhere or something, but not worrying too much about this season uh, Ferrari. Hey, Aston Martin, what happened today? Lance Stroll finished ahead of Fernando Alonso, Hey, which is no bad thing, like I say, finally uh, t- deciding to turn up and uh, uh, and score some points for the team. Fernando Alonso, this is seventh, is disappointing these days, uh, having all these top four finishes. What went wrong today? To pick up on what Phil said, it's the opposite. Aston Martin were off it, but they knew exactly why. They said, you know, they couldn't match... Mercedes for degradation so and and they're sort of not out of step but like the 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 synchronization of updates is they they had their big one in Monaco now others are coming forward and it's just that sort of toing and throwing of the competitive order I also think you have to look at the the revised layout which you know both Stroll and Alonso said was mega and yeah brilliant getting rid of that chicane but the Aston has been strongest on late braking and then really good in the sort of the the, the the acceleration zones, the savage ones, you know, low speed, whatever. And mm. by getting rid of the chicane, you've lost one of those. And where Aston Martin is weak is with drag and straight line speed. So they're, ex- you know, they haven't got that acceleration zone to find a bit of time. And then what, because you're carrying an extra 40, 50 clicks through the final corner, 270 kilometers an hour, then then they're exposed by their sort of straight line deficiencies with the DRS and into. Uh, into into the braking zone into turn one so I think that's what's brought them back a bit closer and then yeah Alonso you have that slightly intangible does a mega drive out of nowhere but obviously him you know running running through the gravel and qualifying shredding the floor meant bent he was starting starting out of pack so he lost that really and and stroll stroll did stroll did well and but Alonso was still able to close and then pretend like he couldn't have sailed past him at a moment's notice and said did you talk to him the in, the, in the pen afterwards did you did you challenge Alonso on why he he overtook uh, Joe and uh, Sonoda and somebody else as well cruised up behind his teammate and then decided, oh no, I won't, I won't overtake him because there's ten laps to go. We're almost done. Look, uh, somebody put the kettle on. Did you challenge him on that? I, I didn't. So to give you a bit of insight, you have the the media pen, which is like a straight line, and drivers tend to sort of go one group at one end, one group at the other. And so I was positioned at this group that had Stroll, and my colleagues had Alonso. So two things to note is Stroll's version of events was that. Um, Fernando Alonso just he was he was 
taking out the risk, you know, there's no point in those two coming together um, and losing points for sixth or seventh. That's what Stroll said. Meanwhile, another about three or four drivers come in. Alonso's there. The going rate in a pen is about two to three minutes. Alonso's there, I reckon, not including his separate Spanish session for about 10 minutes. So, you know, filling in the narrative somewhere else. Uh, but I, I just I just wonder the 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 cynic in me says, you know, for Londo Alonso who's, you know, what's the what's the joke? He's playing three D chess when he's driving around going, ah, oh, that's instantly a three place grid drop for blocking, <laughs> blocking me and qualifying, doing a steward's job for them. My suspect is it's just a little you know, for the sake of two points, Mercedes are second and third. I've been watching the big screens. It doesn't matter in terms of constructors championship. Giving Stroll this leg up, I'll I'll cash that in a bit later in the season or in, in that particular engineering debris where there's a new front wing going spare I'll have that one because of the favour I did and, and I did it so publicly you know I'm not going to put pressure on Stroll This is his pension uh, he is I think his his sights for the Alonso Empire are much greater than just being a racing driver and flogging some hats with a logo on. I think that Stroll, who is a proper billionaire, not just rich, he's a proper billionaire with an automotive company. You got Honda coming in. Uh, you got big Chinese investment in Aston as well. That Mercedes partnership. I just think he looks at this last move of his career as he can milk this for something that will elevate him to uh, a higher plane, a higher, higher level of influence in the world of cars. I'll tell you what else it tells you. It tells you that that noise about, oh, you know, Alonso still thinks he's in the championship fight is a load of old nonsense. Because there's <laughs> like, Fernando uh, Fernando Alonso, who thinks he's got a chance of a world championship, doesn't doesn't give away too... Like, he, he's a guy that's lost three world championships by a total of eight points. There is no way he's going to go, ah, oh, it's all right, in the goodness of my heart, you can have these two. Absolutely not. If he's in a... <laughs> If he's in a nip and tuck fight, you know, back in the day when he was fighting Marcus Schumacher for the championship, on yeah, if he really thought he had a chance against Max, he's getting on the radio to say, "Chaps, I need the two points. Get Lance out of the way. I'm quicker anyway." But he didn't. He knows he's not in it, so he could he could uh, he could do all those things that you've both just suggested instead. But you know, he was waving to the crowd on the final lap, not even after the flag. So he was they, also uh, incredibly like chilled about the fact that Ocon tried to kill him again you know it's uh, it's just uh, old, old Esteban with his I'm gonna with his Mark Schumacher-esque I'm gonna wait till the last moment and then I'm gonna swerve you out towards the barrier uh, and Fernando's like no it was fine it was no different to all the others I mean Fernando we know does leave it a bit late for pulling out compared to some uh, which does leave him so, slightly <laughs> slightly vulnerable <laughs> Uh, to that kind of thing but uh, yeah I mean they got away with it but you really don't want a car cartwheeling down the start finish straight at 200 miles now that would not be uh, not be smart Alpine today in the points Esteban Ocon 8th and uh, Pierre Gasly with a double grid penalty for impeding uh, finishing in 10th in the end Uh, Phil I think that was a good day for Alpine, but I'm not sure I paid enough attention to them to work out if it was just about a good day. What did you think? Yeah, they were a bit anonymous at times. I mean, I think Gasly did a reasonable job uh, after he lost all his places at the start to move back up. Um, Obviously, he qualified fourth, which was brilliant, but then got a double grid penalty. So he started 10th, had a terrible start, and then somehow still managed to finish 10th. So that's not terrible. Ocon eighth, just an okay midfield performance in terms of they were kind of around the points, looking about, didn't have the pace to do much more, didn't really have the pace to really overtake people. Um, I think they'll take it, but 
that's it really. Just a bit of a dog one. They're fine. They are fine. Like they're always fine, apart from the occasional <laughs> amazing moment like I can't get on the podium at Monaco. But generally Alpine are just since they've recovered from the really you know, when it was really bad and they've pulled themselves into the midfield, they're just they're just fine. Uh uh and it's okay, but it's not you know, you we're still not seeing that oh and now they're gonna challenge for world championships like they used to back in the day, you know. It just doesn't feel like they're making significant inroads. You know, they're 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 doing well but astonishingly yeah I just look at their their point standings and apart from as you say a, a great run out at Monaco they've scored really badly in fact more than half of their 40 points this year came from Monaco it, it feels to me like Alpine should have more points than 40 points still more than double than McLaren and uh, they'll be looking up to Ferrari on 100 points thinking well maybe we can you know start to do battle with fourth I don't know but um yeah, it just feels it feels bad. Anyway, uh, let's carry on talking a little bit about some of the star runners and some of those that will be disappointed uh, today. In the Alfa Romeo, the first of the Alfa Romeos, Joe Guanyu coming home ninth. Bit of a gutsy drive uh, for him to secure points in uh, in ninth place and down in 19th, Valtteri Bottas. A very quiet race today. In fact, I can't think about too much that uh, Valtteri did today. Joe Guan Yu finishing up in the points. He'll be happy uh, with that. Late battle with Yuki Sonoda. Maybe we'll talk about Sonoda as well. Uh, he was uh, pretty miffed about a uh, five-second penalty towards the end. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good performance from Joe, isn't it? Every now and again, sort of relative to Bottas, who we know relative to Hamilton, uh, he has he turns it on and has a load of pace and you know and Bottas can't really respond there was a you know poor poor performance from Bottas but yeah the I suppose the main talking point for the Alfa Romeo is is, is the battle with Snowden that ended up in Snowden getting a five second penalty and uh, dropping out of the points and, and giving Joe ninth and uh, so <clears throat> the reason the reason uh, Snowden was penalised is because uh, at the sort of turn one turn two trans- transition um with Joe on the outside, he's sort of uh, with a bit of DRS. He's he's ahead, so technically he has he has sort of you know entitled to some space. But I've been going through the onboards and looking at it, and like in the flight or fight scenario, Joe is incredibly like flight. So you know with the 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 Alpha Tori gets within about three feet of his front wheels, and he jinks the steering wheel to the left, and he puts himself on that on that path to preserve points, and then sort of you know uh, goes through the escape road and rejoins. So I think I think Sonoda is sort of right to feel hard done by what the the killer words he used he said it was a ridiculous penalty totally unfair and that Joe pretended to make a meal yeah. of it so let's let's be charitable and say there's something slightly lost in translation there and, and that Joe wasn't sort of you know manipulating as, as he was going along but I think I think his right to feel aggrieved and sort of you know being as Gunter Steiner got got um, summoned to the stewards for for basically slagging him off this season. I think it's right, sort of right to draw attention to to the due process, which is that you know Gasly slam dunk blocked two people in qualifying, but he's allowed to go up and argue that oh well, I didn't think I could have been any further over to the right, and oh my team radio was unclear, so I wasn't sure. And then Sonoda in arguably you know a much more fifty fifty decision, or at least a decision with more nuance. He's he's by the time he crosses a line, is then only then told about the penalty from his team. He, he's already banged to rights. So there's nothing he can do about it. So you know that that debate wages on a little bit. But yeah, mm. otherwise decent performance from Joe and pretty meh from Bottas. I think that instant is a classic case of the kind of 
pickle that we've gotten ourselves into with the rules because people have been calling for consistency, 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 etc. and all this, that, which a lot of the time is actually a red herring. I know where they're coming from, but it's, it creates problems. One of those is that you go, right, to be consistent, we need every single possible permutation of anything written down and rules about it. So... In the stewards report on that, it was uh, so car 24 was in front at and after the apex of turn one and hence under the driving standards guidelines, that's a crucial bit, was entitled to racing room. Now, that to me tells that says that the stewards have had their hands tied really, which in to the actual guidelines, they have to give a penalty. But I suspect that if they were just given a more broad, did he force the person off the track, I think they probably would have gone... That's a bit more of a racing instant. I looked at that and went, mm, yeah, I've seen far worse not penalised over the years. And I think that this is one of those cases where, I, you know, I feel sorry for Sinead. I think he's been one of the stars this year. He's been consistently better than De Vries. He's had some really good races that have been undone, uh, not necessarily through a fault of his own. And he deserves more than the couple of points he's got. And today was another one where he deserved those two points. So it was a really good performance. And then I think that's a harsh penalty. If you're going to pass somebody on the outside, you know you're at the mercy of the driver on the inside. So if you're going to have a lunge, you better be well ahead for it to make and commit to it to make it work. And this is a bit, you know, it's a bit 50-50. So, no, it's harsh for Tsunoda. On the subject of criticising the rules, uh, Gunter Steiner said, talking about Hulkenberg's penalty from the Monaco opening lap collision, We'll find the quote here. Lap one, we get a penalty for what I think is not a collision. There are other people running into each other during the race. They get the black and white flag. So I think it's very inconsistent. Then we look at in Miami between Nick DeVries and Lando Norris in lap one. That was no collision. Uh, and he goes on to criticise uh, decisions made and things like that, Phil. Uh, we should be able to question decisions shouldn't we and yet he's got in trouble over this weekend he's been summoned to the stewards to uh, uh to explain himself um you definitely you definitely should be able to to point out fellow criticisms i think it's just some of the words he used um, didn't sit well using the word layman there's a lot of volunteers at the fia and uh, stewards and marshals so they don't really take lightly to to that but to me, my favorite bit of, of this whole story is um, the FIA document that gave him a warning. If uh, you let me quote it, it said, Mr. Steiner stated that if he had meant to insult or offend anyone, he would have used much different words, which I think we can all agree with. And the stewards do not dispute this. I thought that was brilliant. Wow. Yeah, he said, uh, he said, every professional sport has got professionals being referees. F1 is one of the biggest sports in the world, and we have laymen deciding on the fate of people who invest millions in their careers. So, uh, yeah, he's got people's back. I'm sure he'll be there. happy then for some of the prize fund to the teams to be diverted to uh, these new professions he wants to create then, yeah? Because they're obviously so <laughs> pleased. They obviously all want an 11th team on the grid as well to, for the dilution fund and stuff. They're really good at giving away their money, aren't they, F1 teams? Exactly, mm. and uh, and they're not laymen. Uh, nobody in the stewards' room is a layman. Also, the move at Monaco was not the same as some of those other ones. It was an absolute sort of kamikaze dar down the inside, wasn't it, into the side of another car? So, I mean, I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry that he feels cross about it, but I mean, yeah, come on, come on, good to you know, we, you're a good laugh, and we and we do enjoy your expletives all over the place, but um, do watch the videos sometimes. 
We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk McLaren because we haven't yet, and that's my bad uh, in the running order and any other business before we wrap this one up and head towards Canada in a couple of weeks' time. Back in a sec. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, before we go, we have to talk about McLaren, and we saw Lando Norris, second row of the grid, starting third. He said, I think it was before the race, he said he expected to be lapped twice by... Max Verstappen, well, he was half right because he was indeed lapped once uh, after he went to the back. He ran into the back of Lewis Hamilton, uh, turn two, first lap. Lewis Hamilton said he should have been a little bit more patient. I think the phrase was, he, we live and learn. Uh, luckily, Hamilton got away with that, but it did break Landon Norris's front wing. So he stopped very early, went onto the hards, trundled around at the back, made up a couple of places, um, but otherwise very forgettable uh, day for him, which is unfortunate, starting, starting third. But... Even then, they weren't talking up their chances after what was, you know, a standout lap yesterday, a disrupted, a different qualifying. Even then, they weren't saying, OK, well, we'll see what we can do. Even then, he said, well, I think we'll probably finish outside the points. That seems pretty pessimistic to me. No, I've got to say it's, it's entirely realistic to, to my mind. First of all, you know, what we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, at qualifying had people at position, they were always going to come past. And yeah, you wouldn't expect it with Norris him to make such quite a clumsy run into sort of the opening sequence, I think. I think uh, I think that's that's mm. Norris. I think that's Norris is basically taking off his own front wing by grazing into Hamilton. But the, the factors you've got to look at, again, you sort of come back to... Ties temperatures in uh, degradation, which uh, I'm sorry is a, a bit of a bland topic, but um, the, the McLaren, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I, know. I, McLaren- I enjoyed the tyre strategy to that. I enjoyed, it was the opposite to uh, Azerbaijan, where uh, there was a safety car, everybody stopped, did exactly the yeah. same thing, and it was it was rubbish because of that. And then, uh, whereas today, I was genuinely thinking, ooh, there's three different compounds all at play here. They could all do different things at different times. So, I... Look, I enjoyed a bit of tire chat. Uh, yeah. Today. I don't always. This but. brought to well, you sponsored to. by Pirelli, Michelin, Bridgestone, <laughs> Dunlop, Goodyear, all the others that I can't remember off the top of my head. There you go. Uh, yeah, but uh, well, allow me to indulge, but I didn't realise we were such tire fanatics. But so why McLaren were so good in qualifying or should be so bad the rest of the time is that that car works better i'm not going to say well because it's, it's a dog dinner of a car but that car works better in low grip low temperature conditions so let's say after a bit of a rain shower in uh, in fp3 it's taken all the grip off the tarmac and it's a gray horrible day anyway so the t- track's quite cool that allowed you know because uh, even though piastri's lap wasn't mega it's was with like, within like a tenth and a half of norris and you know they're starting uh what is it third third and ninth and then today i'm i know sort of 
so I, I listened uh, in the race to the F1 official TV commentary and you know they are brilliant but they are paid F1 employees and you know, when they're going oh the rain might arrive any minute or five laps this race could turn on its head with the rain well we had the FIA weather system in front of us rain was never ever a strike in this race it, it just it just wasn't like it, it felt like a bit oh stay tuned this might happen but it was never never going to it wasn't within 30 odd miles of the circuit even though there was a couple of great grey clouds um, and so that means that nothing to wash away the track so it's getting rubbered in lap after lap after lap and track evolution is exaggerated because there was a bit of rain early in the weekend and it's a you know really hot warm day and so they're the two things the McLaren don't like you give it to them and so you know they, they regress as you expected and, and Piastri fell foul of tyre temperatures and tyre degradation so that meant early on he's one of the few people not stuck in one of these two second windows he just went backwards and, and so sort of with, with Nonzo's a lot uh, with Norris sorry taking his front wing off it was it was day over and I mean and even without front, front wings Andrea t- um, started the team Bosch said yeah you might have been in a ballpark with uh, the Alpines, but that was it. So, you know, yeah, realistic, I think, that when Norris was going, yeah, it'll probably be a, a mediocre result. Mm. Kev, Phil, any thoughts on McLaren? McLaren is one of those teams that's in dire need of an upgrade. Because uh, some of the other teams have been upgrading their cars this weekend in previous weekends and there's their last big upgrade was from Baku which was at the time the package they said they wanted to start the season with so they are really uh, hanging on I think until Austria when they are to, uh, bringing their so-called B-spec or almost B-spec um, that's going to be noticeably different and until then I think they are going to struggle to pick up that many points uh, Charles Leclerc we've covered off just out of the points in 11th. Yuki Sonoda, yeah, with that penalty down to 12th. Oscar Piastri, 13th. Uh, Nick De Vries, 14th. Pretty steady race for him. Nico Hulkenberg in the Haas. We've seen them uh, at times quick this year, qualifying okay at times, but was not a happy Sunday for Haas with Nico Hulkenberg, 15th. K-Mag in 18th, by the way. Uh, the first of the Williams, Alexander Albon. A quiet race for him as well. And in 16th, then Lando, Kevin, Valtteri Bottas, 19th, Logan Sargent in 20th. And I think that just about it, wraps us up. Any other it, business? It's yet? almost like Barcelona puts the cars in their correct order, doesn't it? I mean, with the, with the temperature thing, as mentioned, I think that, that yeah, Aston did look worse and Mercedes better in relative terms. But, you know, uh, I did I was expecting a two by two grid, but various calamities occurred uh, that stopped that uh, yesterday. But, um, yeah. You find out you find out who've got the who've got the good cars, don't you? At Barcelona, I, I would also just like to do a great shout out for turn thirteen, fourteen being back to how it was when the track first appeared on the F1 Colour in ninety one, uh, and shockingly there was some overtaking as well, which I wasn't anticipating. It would. I mean, there's still there's still a lot of it. It's a bit too much DRS. I think there's debate to be had about DRS passes and whatever in future. But uh, as as a race. There was more wheel-to-wheel stuff than we saw. I mean, some of the most boring F1 races in history have been at Barcelona. So uh, that one wasn't that, despite Verstappen's domination. 
Oh, I will take you a Barcelona and I'll raise you a Paul Ricard. Are you inspiring me into a new top, t- the top 10 most boring <laughs> Formula One races? I'm not sure yes, that would make a very good it. podcast, Martin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The most- Valencia 2011 gets my vote. <laughs> hey, I once covered a 77 lap <laughs> Formula Three race at Brands Hatch in which, at Brands Hatch Indy, in which there was one overtaking the top 10 in the entire race. It's the easiest lap shot I've ever taken. <laughs> Talking of top tens, we're about to finish off your current series of Le Mans top tens, Kev. We've got, uh, got a big one coming up next week, along with a little Le Mans preview. And of course, uh, Le Mans uh, either next week or it'll be this week by the time everybody hears this this podcast this weekend. So that's been uh, a fantastic series. I've really enjoyed making these top tens with you um, and along with Gary Watkins as well. You mentioned the cars are on track now at Le Mans. The build-up is... Uh, is has started anything that we need to know about how Le Mans has started? Uh, well, I think your main thing is that they've done these uh, out of the blue. They've made these tweaks, these weight tweaks to all the cars without, I believe, without consulting the manufacturers. They've just done it uh, <laughs> basically because Toyota have been too good and they want someone else to be in the mix at the 24 hours. And lo and behold, today uh, on the test day, it's Ferrari, Porsche, Toyota. So there we go. And then one of the Toyotas is even shunted. So it suddenly looks uh, like it won't be quite so easy for. T- oh, they're still going to go in as favourites. Of course, they are. They're five wins on the trot and they've been running that car for longer than the others. But it suddenly looks a bit more. Ooh! Than it did a few days before uh, before they did the uh, the tweaks. Well, we got the last of your uh, top 10 uh, podcasts uh, this week. And of course, all of our Le Mans coverage, we can't wait to bring you. And uh, and of course, that means an off week for Formula One. So after some back-to-back races, should have been a triple header, of course, with, with Imola. And uh, we now have a break before Canada and then a break before Austria. And that will roll straight into the British GP. Then it's July. And oh, my goodness, we're talking about Silverstone already. Uh, that's our podcast for today. Day, though thank you very much for listening you can always get in contact with well, any of us individually you can send us an email to the show it's podcast at autosport.com uh, and of course social media good place to find uh, us all individually and make sure that you are glued to autosport.com for all the uh, the latest news as it comes out and of course heading into Le Mans as well and pick up if you don't already subscribe to Autosport magazine to drop through your letterbox, you can pick that up and look at the glorious coverage that we have every week, week in, week out. And if you are a subscriber already, thank you very much for your support to allow us to do what we do. Thanks for listening to this one, and we'll see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.